This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Mizugai. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Admirals. You're listening to episode 222 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded on Thursday, May 14th, 2015, and available for download or streaming on Monday, May 18th, at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. And I'm Jace. Well, as we mentioned last week, Cookie is visiting family, so she won't be chatting Star Trek Online with us for the next two weeks. In the meantime, I'd like to take the opportunity to introduce this week's guest hosts. First is the familiar gravelly voice of none other than Cam, a.k.a. Sarcasm Detector. Thanks for joining us, Cam. Greetings. And joining us today is a new voice in the Star Trek Online community, Kenna. Kenna, welcome to the show. Hiya. Thanks for having me. All right, Jace, let's jump right in. Why don't you tell us what we have in store this week? Certainly. This week, Kenna treks out the Nexus, but not the one you're thinking of from Star Trek Generations. In STO news, more controversial changes hit Holodeck with the retirement of Lolonot Pearls, and subsequently any other free ship currency you might have been saving up for the yearly events. Then, our fiction writer Jake brings us another Foundry review now that it's back up and running on Holodeck. Of course, as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Speaking of those hailing frequencies, it's great to receive all your messages. So chat with us during our live stream on Thursday nights at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash live or answer our community question by commenting on our website, Facebook.com forward slash Priority One or via Twitter at STO Priority One. Thanks again to all our Patreon supporters that make this show possible from week to week. Because of their support, the servers stay on, the power keeps flowing, and the team keeps producing. Help us improve the show by considering a financial contribution via our Patreon page. One last thing, folks. We're looking for some talent to add to the Priority One podcast team. We've already received a few applications for my replacement on the show, and there's still time to apply. Or maybe you're a graphic artist that dabbles in cartooning. We'd love to have you on board. Are you into audio editing? We could never have enough team members to help edit the show from week to week. So email us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com or find the list of volunteer positions by clicking on Red Shirt Uncle Sam on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Let's hunt for exoplanets and trek out Nexus. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. There's an exciting new collaboration going on at NASA. They've brought together an interdisciplinary team with the aim of better understanding other planets in our galaxy and beyond. Other planets that could be habitable by other life forms. The new team is called Nexus, N-E-X-S-S, which is short for Nexus of Exoplanetary System Science. 
Despite the dubious naming practice of forming an acronym out of itself, the project looks like it could be an ambitious advancement in the search for extraterrestrial life. According to NASA, its mission is to better understand the various components of an exoplanet, as well as how the planet, stars, and neighbor planets interact to support life. Nexus brings together four main areas of research that usually work independently, but now they will be sharing information and scientific methods. Earth scientists, planetary scientists, helioscientists, that's people who study suns, and astrophysicists from 10 universities and two research institutes will be working independently but in parallel on a variety of projects that address different aspects of the study of exoplanets. For instance, scientists from the University of Washington are studying factors that could affect whether other planets can support life and how we can better detect them from far away. Another project at the University of Wyoming is looking at how young planets form. But the project I'm looking forward to is part of the offering from Yale University, who among other things are planning improvements to a website called planethunters.org. Now if you've not heard of planethunters.org, I would encourage you to go check it out. At its core, it aims to put human brain power to work by allowing you and me to try and spot light patterns characteristic of planets in faraway star systems. The data is crowdsourced, meaning that anything you find is cross-checked against all the other users to determine candidates for further research. In the first phase of the project, nearly 300,000 users were able to identify what turned out to be several confirmed planets and numerous other possible planets. Now the project is in its second phase and looking for more users to participate. If you'd like to learn more information on all of the projects going on as part of Nexus, we'll leave some links on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com. But for now, I'm pleased to see this effort going forward. After all, we've only got about 48 more years until first contact, so we'd better get moving. So the idea is that this is something that's hard for a, a computer algorithm to detect because it's more of a, it's not a fixed pattern that it can just recognize. So crowdsourcing it lets them have lots of different uh, human eyes check it out so it's actually human eyes that are doing this and not the users and computer okay that's pretty impressive that reminds me of the um they did this not too long ago a few years ago the uh, the folding yes, algorithm that's what i was thinking of where they they crowdsourced it to a bunch of gamers and the gamers figured it out within like a week or something something that has been stumping computers for decades. Well, have you discovered something that you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about? A new advancement in science or tech that you would like for us to cover? Then send it over to us via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Online News. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Admirals, it's time for some Star Trek Online news, and we have a lot to discuss. Kenna, why don't you start us off? Sure. If you are interested in learning more about how the new pilot ships were made, Monday's blog post by lead systems designer Phil Gorn-Gonzola-Zaleski is a good one to check out. He's given us some good insight into the development of the nine new pilot ships that were released last week. Commenting on the reasons for developing the new ships, he said that the devs wanted to make super nimble escorts capable of executing special maneuvers. Of course, some of the maneuvers he's referring to are the new double taps, which allow you to make lateral rolls or jump forward or backward in your ship by double tapping in the relevant direction. 
These are intended to be analogues of the sprint and roll techniques you can use in ground combat. Probably the most interesting part of the post is when he talks about the devs' desire to make ships across all the factions that would have similar builds, so all players could benefit from the new concepts in ship design. First, they started with deciding what classes the ships would be that would make sense within the current range of other available ships. So the new ones were based on Federation escorts, Klingon raptors, and Romulan Tavaro light warbirds. For the visual design, they used some existing ships, like the Federation Defiant class escort and some existing Klingon ships, and then added some new elements, like making the Klingon ship look more like a fighter jet. For the Romulan ships, they actually took an older piece of concept art that was originally intended for the scimitar and scaled it down to fit the smaller ship. Functionally, they wanted all of the new ships to be unique in each faction, but balanced against each other, so there's no clear winner in terms of which faction ship is the best. So for instance, the Fed ships have no cloak, but more shield strength. The Klingon ships have stronger hulls and a cloak, but only average shield strength. And while the Romulan ships benefit from battle cloaks, they have only average hulls and shields. But across all the factions, the ships have the same buff layouts, and because they're in similar classes, they can all use the same gear, with the exception, of course, of warp cores. This is just a taster of the phenomenal amount of work that goes into developing a new line of ships. If you're interested in a bit more information, I suggest you go and check out the blog post. We'll leave a link on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com. This week in release notes, we have a pretty intense week again, with special attention to two hot-button issues we've heard a lot about lately. Login crashes and, you guessed it, lag. We'll talk more about the lag fixes in tracking the devs, but this is just the first in a series of corrections that should gradually alleviate that problem. Also, at least one issue that was causing the crashes while loading the login screen and some other maps has been resolved, which hopefully should let some users back into the game who have been plagued with that issue. We also got a long requested feature in the form of a confirmation window when you click finish now on R&D projects, which is a great relief. I have definitely blown a few tens of thousands of dilithium that way by accident, and this is a welcome change. In quadrant space, several dailies and contacts have been restored, including the Schmar Freighter's distress signal, defense contract, the Ocompen freighter, and both the Breen and Deferi patrols. One intriguing note added holographic FX to the photonic officers, which I look forward to checking out as I have a few of those myself. Not to mention tailor fixes for many helmets that were not showing up available to use. Of course, there's always more in the notes than we can cover briefly, so I encourage you as usual to check them out for yourself and see if there is anything relevant to your favorite captain. Now I'll turn it over to Kenna to talk about one of the more controversial changes going live this week. Yeah, there's big news on the blog this week. Risey and Low Lunat Pearls are being retired. We know that the Low Lunat Festival is on the horizon, and in preparation for this year's summer event, the devs have announced that the currency from 2014 is being retired and replaced with an entirely new currency for this year. This looks like something they're going to start doing for every event now. They've mentioned that a new item will need to be collected each year. Apparently, that's to ensure everyone is on equal footing going into the event. So, if you were hoping to get a head start on this year's fancy new ships, you are out of luck. But so you're not left with completely worthless items, from the 14th of May, the summer buyback store will be open, with a number of options for you to trade in any unused pearls for some goodies. So let's have a look at some of the options that you have. 
First, if you're a level 60 character, you can trade in pearls for specialization XP. They start at 500 specialization XP for one pearl, but if you trade in more you get a better deal. The top tier is one full specialization point for 200 pearls. If you are not yet level 60 or you don't need the specialization points, you can go for a tech upgrade instead. A small one will cost you 30 pearls and a large one will cost you 50. They give up to 25,600 tech points and neither cost any dilithium to apply. We've seen these special upgrades before in a couple other events, so they should look pretty familiar. Or you can also choose to get an Elite Q R&D pack of your choice for just 15 pearls. There's also an entirely new set of items that you can buy for 40 pearls apiece, Starship Emotes. Now this is a new mechanic that we've heard alluded to before but we've not yet seen. Each emote can be slotted into your ship's power tray and when activated, displays a holographic image above your ship in system space or sector space. For now, these are only available through the summer buyback store, but eventually they'll be available in the GPL store. I should mention, in case you're worried about ship emote spam while you're out exploring the galaxy, all ship emotes have a short shared cooldown, so hopefully it will keep that in check. A couple other pearls of wisdom. Sorry. If you already have a reputation project slotted and partially complete, you'll be able to complete it with either leftover pearls or the new currency coming out. But if you don't already have a project slotted for the Rysian Corvette or Luxury Cruiser, you've missed your chance as they're being retired as well. Also, and here's a biggie, at the end of this year's festival, any partially completed projects will be removed. So make sure that you plan to complete your project or you could lose your progress. No word yet on whether you'd be refunded for the items you will have already contributed to it. There's no published end date for the summer buyback store yet, but if you've got some pearls lying around from last year, it's probably a good idea to trade them in while you still can. So, there's been a lot of negative feedback on the forums about this one, where people have saved up from last year to avoid the grind this year. I think they're overreacting, but what do you guys think? I am disappointed with this change. For me, this is a devaluation of the time I have already spent in the game, specifically in the summer event. I don't buy that this is for everyone to be equal. Some players are going to start this event more equal than others. They'll be able to get a head start buying the event currency with Lobby. It's always been the case in STO that you can either spend time to achieve something, or you can speed it up by using real-life money. It's not pay to win. It's pay to finish faster. In my opinion, this is now gone. This also devalues the actual summer event. Before we would grind the dailies till we got the grand prize, and then continue grinding to the end of the event to get a step up for the following year. Now there is no point in continuing to play the event past getting the grand prize. I have already spent my surplus pearls on upgrades and the emotes. So now, my friends and I can play rock, paper, scissors while we're duct taping triples to our hangar bays during the wait for pets phase. And I can pop the sad face as I watch those pets rubber band their way back to my hangar. My main complaint though, why not rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock? 
total missed opportunity. I agree. I guess we could use the live long and prosper for the Spock. What could we use for the lizard? It, it won't work because uh, what the actual emote for rock, paper, scissors does is for about three, four seconds, it'll throw up random images uh, and then it'll do the proper one. It'll se settle on one. I haven't seen it live yet. I gotcha. There is another problem I've noticed with it though. Uh, I have put them on my power tray. But when I warp into a new map, they get scrambled. They get thrown all over my power tray. How weird. Mm, that is strange. So I understand your concern regarding the time investment last year, right? So you finished it in three weeks or four weeks, and you did the last two weeks to store up for the following year. But are the rewards not available to you in the store, like the tech upgrades or the advanced R&D packs? Is that not a fair exchange of time and money? It feels more like a booby prize. Not that it'll go to waste, I will use them, but... Those tech upgrades that don't cost dilithium, I mean, that's a pretty big deal, don't you think? I mean, because dilithium is, in fact, a monetary time currency, right? You can either exchange money for dilithium or dilithium for money. So the fact that you are you can trade these now obsolete, so to speak, lowland up pearls or ship currencies in for things like tech upgrades, that doesn't alleviate the blow at all? It mitigates it somewhat, but... It would be better if they gave a research bonus. Yeah, a research bonus would be a, a lot more beneficial. There is, there is another point here as well. Me and Jace were just briefly discussing this before the show. What I like to do is, yes, I like to spend the time and get the extra marks and get a head start for the following year. And so, for example, this year I had 800 pearls. And it would have taken me five days to get to 1,000 and get the new ship. On the sixth day, you would have seen me post a video of the ship, showing off the ship, talking about it, giving it a review, and posting that on the forums or Reddit or whatever. And this actually, not to brag, but this kind of entices people to actually go for the ship itself. But my other thing too is that, how often is anybody really flying these ships? They're not the best ships, right? They're not like the great ships of the game. I don't see anybody flying in a, a Rissian Corvette. I haven't had that one because I wasn't around for the summer event last year, but I got the Kobali cruiser from the winter event, and I actually have spent quite a lot of time in that ship because I really like it. So, I don't know, maybe that's just because of the novelty value of it, and a lot of people do get value from the novelty value of these ships from the events, but um, I, th I think it's worthwhile getting and keeping. It's tricky because they keep adding new consoles with the new ships and making it into a retroactive set bonus that uh, some folks will never be able to get, which is frustrating. I find it irksome to not to have a set that I can't possibly complete. It makes me not want any of the other parts of it. So that's that's tough. I mean, I do agree with Kenna that I think some of the folks are overreacting, but I think the more mainstream outrage is, is somewhat justified because another thing we were talking about earlier is that it's sort of a 180 even from just the, the winter event with Q's Wonderland. It seems like in, in recent events, they've made it easier and more encouraged even to try to get the previous year's ship or do it on multiple characters. And I did that during the winter event. I got all three of the Breen ships because I don't like Breen ships, but I love carriers. So I had never gotten the previous ships. And that, but now that there was a carrier, I wanted the other one to be able to get the elite pets, even though they're 
you know, not that amazing or anything. But now we've flip-flopped on that to, well, all the old ships are going to be retired. I suspect there is more to this story that we don't have yet because it's too far out from the summer event for them to announce the ship or any of this other stuff. So it sort of feels like another one of those cases where, well, here is a negative and later on there'll be maybe a positive, which they can't keep going down this road. It's like killing people's perceptions. Yeah, this is a problem. We've, we're really getting really tired of it. You know, uh, they take right now and ooh, here's a vague promise. Maybe sometime soon, maybe we'll fix it. There's another blow here. So coming right after the Delta event. Um, so people have these new tunes, these new alts. A lot of them are new players. They're going to come in and they're not going to have access to these ships. The, the rising corvette and the luxury liner but you know the flip side of that is that the new players who are coming in will be able to do the summer event and enjoy the summer event and not feel as though they've missed out or are at a disadvantage to everyone who did it last year and had all their stuff saved up that's true but the the, the previous players will have a bunch of stuff that these folks just will never be able to get but on the flip side of that again it means they won't feel pressured to like overplay the event just to grind up everything from the past years. It, I mean, it's complicated. And to add to that, I mean, the same thing applies for retired lockbox ships sometimes, right? Uh, there are promo ships. Yeah, the Jem'Hadar's assault ship and I believe the Bulwark. I mean, I think that's going to happen in every game, is that there will be moments and there will be items that newer players will not be able to get. Star Trek Online has set a precedence where in the last five years we really haven't had that type of concern. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know that it's going to really, especially for new players, right? They might not even be aware. They're going to, they're coming in from other games that this is the norm where there's gear that they just can't get their hands on anymore because they weren't there five years ago. Well, that leads us to our first community question this week. What do you think you'll be getting from the Summer Buyback Store? Let us know in the comment section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO222. As an addendum to our discussion of the changes to Lolanot Pearls, after we wrapped recording for this episode, Salami Inferno, executive producer, posted some additional info to the forums and to Reddit. Apparently, in light of the furor over the decision, they have decided to allow for event ships and exactly which ships will and will not be covered by this has not been clarified yet presumably we'll get another post about that with more details will be changed to account-wide unlocks going forward and also retroactively so for those of us who have a Rissian Corvette unlocked from two summers ago we will now be able to claim that on all of our alts What this means for ships such as the original Odyssey, now known as the Odyssey Star Cruiser, or the Dyson Science Destroyer, which is now in the low-buy store, is unclear. However, uh, while this won't answer everyone's grievances with the change, I think that it is a move in the right direction and something that I personally am fairly pleased about since I have these across a couple different characters and would like to be able to consolidate onto my main. Moving on, a micro-review of the new Iconian Resistance space set. The meta of the game is always evolving. With every new content patch and expansion, we get new reputations and gear to play with. Today, I want to 
briefly talk about what will be a potentially significant shift in shipbuilding. The Iconian resistance space set consists of four pieces, deflector, impulse engine, warp-slash-singularity core, and resilient shield. Individually, each of the parts of the set are extremely tanky, probably the tankiest set in the game currently. However, the three-piece and four-piece set bonus are what are getting some people very excited. Before we go into the set bonuses, a quick description of the individual parts. The Iconian Resistance Deflector Array comes with increased kinetic resistance, extra power to shields, improved shield healing, increased hull and shield hit points, and at ultra-rare, Psy Commander, which reduces science cooldowns by 10%. The Iconian Resistance Hyper Impulse Engine comes with increased defense, extra power to engines, increased energy damage resistance when at full throttle, and at ultra-rare, plus C-Res, which gives increased resistance to control effects. Diconian Resistance Hyper Injection Warp Core comes with extra power to engine, increased max engine power, bonus engine power to shield, efficiency, transwarp cooldown reduction, hot restart of disabled weapon subsystem, and at ultra rare, AMP. The Iconian Resistance Resilient Shield Array reduces all energy damage to shields by 20%. Hot Restart of Disabled Shield Subsystems removes one debuff every 10 seconds and at Ultra Rare has increased shield regen. All of these are very nice and make for a very tough ship, but it's the three-piece set bonus that really shines. When firing energy weapons, there's a 5% chance to get a plus 15 all energy damage for 8 seconds to all allies within 10 kilometers. Stacks 3 times. What does this mean? If you are running this 3-piece set, yourself, any teammates, pets, including console pets, friendly platforms, targetable torpedoes, etc. within 10 kilometers of you, will get up to a plus 45% Category 1 energy damage increase, which is a plus 7% effective damage increase. This will stack if other members of your team are also running this 3-piece. This is significantly better than the current best-in-slot DPS meta of 2-piece Nukara plus Romulan engine. The recommended setup would be Deflector, Engine, and shield. The four-piece set bonus is an activated ability that grants extra damage, hull HP, and speed for 30 seconds to yourself and friendlies with a two-minute cooldown. This ability does not stack with itself, so only one person should activate it at a time. However, to run the four-piece, you have to equip the warp slash singularity core, which due to the way it balances power and the cost of upgrading it to ultra-rare to get is not really recommended. For most builds, the Fleet Spire or Dilithium Mine Cores are superior. However, there might be some builds and or situations where the 4-piece might be beneficial. 
Although some of us are excited about this new set, we're also very worried about the lag that this might cause. So this is a great review of the Iconian Resistance space set with some amazing insight. We will include all of Cam's notes in our show notes at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO222. Still going to be a while for everyone to get the last piece, which is the shield. I think we're still maybe three weeks away from that. But once everyone starts joining this, it's it's beneficial for everyone because it is a tanky set. It's very, very tough. And you're basically increasing your DPS and everyone else's at the same time. When these items were leaked on Instagram or whatever it was, I found them to be quite handsome. I was really thinking about getting my hands on one of these sets. So I may be working towards, uh, towards earning some Iconian marks. It's definitely worth it, um, just though you should keep in mind it's very easy to upgrade them to Mark 14. Upgrade because they're reputation items, upgrading their rarity is prohibitively expensive. That's why I don't recommend the Warp Core because you probably already have a, you know, a fleet core that has the amp in there. I did work on these, test them out on Triple and upgrade them. Just for your information, they were going from rare to ultra rare at approximately 30%. The shield went at 42%. So it is ridiculously expensive to upgrade these. On a side note though, the engine, the impulse engine, is probably the fastest at full throttle out of all the engines in the game. Oh, that's really good for subspace sheath since it scales with your actual maximum speed, not your throttle setting. Again this week, in an effort to bring you some of the news and comments from Perfect Wall Entertainment and Cryptic that aren't officially announced on the blogs, here's the latest comments pulled from the forums, Dev Tracker and the Twitterverse. Bordicus, systems designer, and Cryptic Flying Targ, programmer, talk about the main causes of lag on the subreddit r sto. The highlights include the revelation that inspiration is in fact the number one source of lag, but definitely not alone. Some powers that were not really a problem before are needing a cleanup now. They're developing some new code to lighten their load on the back end, and they gave the example that attack pattern beta is actually the number two source of lag, but nowhere near what inspiration causes. There's lots of issues that are causing this, but uh, right now inspiration is the only one that has to be actually redesigned rather than just altered or, or new code built around them. Lag from inspiration was actually overflowing into other instances on the same server thread or process. This is why some people were seeing lag that may have been caused by inspiration, even if there was not a command battlecruiser in their instance. Also, attack pattern beta was rechecking and reloading every single player ability per activation. Invisible to us changes will be made additionally over the coming weeks and months, with the goal being a smooth playing experience. You know, I thought that all of this would have been immediately remedied after that meeting with Admiral Hunter. (laughs) But alas, it was not. In a follow-up message from the executive producer, Salami Inferno, he elaborates on the issue of the lag by calling out command ships as the worst offender, combined with other powers forming a mega lag monster. He details the issue in the post that we'll have linked in the show notes, but he reassures players that they are working on the issue. So, let me ask, if you've had a chance to check it out on live, because I haven't yet, what change have you noticed from the fix? There isn't much of a change. Um, It is a little bit better in the runs that I did today, but there is still a lot of lag. The thing is, there was lag before the command ships came out. 
what happened when the anniversary event hit and the command ships were released is that the lag became unplayable. It reached unplayable levels for some of us that were experiencing it, and it started hitting more and more people. However, with these changes to the command ships, basically what they did, instead of the inspiration mechanic being tied to the team, because how it used to work was for every time someone on your team activated any ability, it would gather inspiration. And the more people you have on your team, the more it affected. And also if there's multiple ships, multiple command ships, all those are pulling the whole team all the time, constantly. So what they did is they disconnected it from the team. So it's no longer a team power. It's just you solo generating. Um, I guess they reduced the amount of pulling it does, but increased the level of inspiration it gained. Some people say it's a little, it's a little bit of a nerf. The inspiration is gathering at a slower rate. I'm fine with that. I have no problem with that. <laughs> I think it'll be a net DPS gain if it reduces the lag. Yes. Now, I did run a Gateway to Grethor Advanced earlier today, and there were two command ships in there. Normally, if there were two command ships, it would be absolutely horrible run. It would be unplayable. But it managed to go fairly smoothly. Um, we did try ISA, in fact, the Space Advanced, and it was laggy like before. No difference. Hmm. So there's still problems. It's going to take a long time. Well, that wraps up Star Trek Online News. Let's get this week's Foundry in 5. Hello and welcome back to Priority 1's Foundry in 5. One of the most appealing aspects of the Foundry, in this reviewer's humble opinion, is the ability to experience your Trek. Whether you're a fan of TNG or DS9, Voyager or Enterprise, the silver or small screen, there is a flavor for you. For me personally, I have a real soft spot for TOS. Cryptic has done a great job of giving us our Trek, regardless of what that Trek may be. But one can only play everything old as new so many times. So I took to Google and searched STOTOS Foundry Missions, which led us to our Foundry in 5 review. This week, we review Spectres, Episode 6 by Hippie John. To begin playing, search Spectre in the Foundry search bar. The mission starts in the sector space outside of Drazana Station. Upon your arrival, click to the ready room and begin playing. When searching for Spectres Episode 6, you are informed that the mission is a spotlight mission and qualifies for the Spotlight Daily. Opening mission text questions the fate of the USS Reuben James, the Constitution-class vessel you disabled on your approach to Drazana Station during Cryptic's Spectres story arc. It further suggests that the destruction of the USS Reuben James may be your fault. Now that we have the premise, let's see how it plays combat. Though I wouldn't call Spectre's Episode 6 a combat-oriented mission, your phaser does get some use. You battle Klingon ground forces in three of the nine map transitions with varying degrees of difficulty. Be warned, there is no space combat. The story did not dictate it, and Hippie John did not force it. All of the combat takes place aboard the TOS ship interior and feels very true to story. Immersion is never lost, and the combat feels consistent with the setup. I'll go more into that later. As for combat, it's a middle-of-the-road combat mission featuring ground only. 3 out of 5. Puzzles. There is one codebreaker puzzle and several what I can only describe as accolade puzzles found in Spectre's Episode 6. The codebreaker is found on Drozana Station and can be accomplished by simply clicking every option until the right one is obtained. It is a series of three choices. Incorrectly selecting a code will bump you back to Selection 1. I advise heavily against this trial and error method. You'll be missing out on some great dialogue and a lot of fun backstory. 
The accolades are a great addition that pay as well as any author-selected payout can. Despite the inability for authors to hand-pick player rewards, Hippie John found a way to make searching for unlocks desirable. The accolades offer fun tidbits of extra story at the end of the mission. They're well-written and engaging, and for this reviewer, that's a great carrot to dangle. The player's last bit of dialogue includes picking the two accolades or unlocks that they obtain during the playthrough. The system adds heavily to replayability. I've played through three times for this review and will likely run it at least once more. The puzzles were interesting, engaging, and fun. They had serious replayability. Original series kiss. Yes! You'll see what I mean. 4 out of 5. Map builds. From what I can tell, there were no ground-up map builds in Spectres Episode 6. All maps seem to be cryptic prefabs with a sprinkling of NPC and object placement. That's not to say this is bad, quite the contrary. The story dictates you revisit previously visited areas, and Hippie John's execution of those areas were flawlessly recreated. More so, his NPC's recreation is spot on. Just perfect. It's obvious a lot of care went into the small things, and it all came together very well. Hippie John's mob placement in the TOS ship interior made combat feel truly close quarters. The map is tighter, in general, than other ground maps, and the mobs were placed around corners or in rooms so that close quarters tactics and strategies, read traps and shotguns, worked extraordinarily well. My only complaint is that there were nine map transitions, and as we know, foundry map loads take a lot longer than cryptic provided content. Frankly, each map had enough to do to make transitions and wait worthwhile, but there was at least one transition that could have been properly cut. But really, I'm just nitpicking for review purposes. I love the TOS maps, and I'm willing to wait just so I can play in them. Because of the attention to detail on both maps and the NPCs, and the lack of any immersion-breaking bugs, maps get a 4 out of 5. Dialogue It was a daring move for Hippie John to have the player engage with previously encountered NPCs. In What's Old is New, we chat briefly with some interesting, well-written NPCs that, despite our short time with them, have personality and character. Thankfully, Hippie John took the same care as Cryptic's writers, presumably Kestrel, and understood the characters he was writing. They seemed so familiar, and it was super fun to see the scene from a different point of view. The cryptic-created NPCs aren't the only characters we meet along the way. Hippie John introduces the player to several crewmen of the Reuben James. Though most of the dialogue is brief, it's worth doing. The last encounter gives a little history, or future, (laughs) of the characters. Hippie John's obvious understanding of old characters, interesting new characters, and engaging conversation make dialogue shine. Where choices offered, outcome is changed, and award is given. Make sure you talk to the Orion bartender when you're trying to get the access codes. Fun as heck. 5 out of 5. Story. From the introduction of an old, let's call him a colleague, to the accolades you receive before leaving your ship, the story is tight, well-written, and fun. Tension is built through combat, but more impressively through dialogue and player recollection. The characters are alive, and the reactions to both you and others is believable and driving. There aren't any huge surprises, dramatic encounters, or deeply impactful moments, but then it didn't really mean to have them. Spectre's Episode 6 had similar tones to Trials and Tribulations, as well as the movie Back to the Future. For a story meant to be fun time travel, I can't think of a better compliment. 5 out of 5. So would I recommend Spectre's Episode 6 to the Priority 1 audience? Dare Kirk, yes. As with any review, there is a bit of a personal opinion that enters. So let me be clear when I say that the Spectre's arc was one of my favorite arcs of all three factions. My soft spot for TOS, time travel, and familiar faces make it oh so fun, and I've played the arc countless times. So the fact that Hippie John found an exciting and not so obvious way to get us back without being do ex machina is impressive. His ability, in some ways, to outdo what's old as new is even more impressive. This is not only one of my favorite foundry missions, it's one of my favorite stow missions. 
My exit review was 5 out of 5. Perfection. And of course, 100 the lithium. Always tip your authors. For Priority One, I'm Jake Cobb. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's in there. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. This week's feedback was filled with a lot of great comments from you, our listeners, regarding my retirement from hosting the show. It really was just an uplifting experience to see all of your kind words of appreciation and support for my decision. Whether it was in my blog post explaining the decision to retire, the episode post, Twitter and Facebook, or or even the subreddit and the forums, your words really inspired me to make sure that Priority One Podcast stays on course and that our new show, On Screen, meets your expectations. So to everyone that invites us into your lives each week, the one listening right now, you, your time is precious to me and to the team. The Mondays that you share with us is time that I do not take advantage of and work hard to respect. It's more valuable to me than any trip to Vegas, any interview with a dev or a special guest, any podcast award nomination, because you truly are my friends, and I thank you for the ongoing support that you give us from week to week. So I know that whoever takes the new position as host will see the same support and encouragement that you gave to me and the team. I saw a lot of new names this last week, so please stay in touch and engage with us from week to week. You are the Star Trek online community, and we want to represent you to the best of our ability. So let's get into some non-retirement feedback, shall we? The Grand Nig is posted via PriorityOnePodcast.com. I 100% agree on the handling of the DOF situation. While I do not personally care about this issue, from a PR standpoint, they just handled it badly. As you said, this is an old bug. There was no rush to fix it, so they should not have changed anything until they had a replacement ready. Nausicaan Female posted via PriorityOnePodcast.com Great episode, guys. It's nice to hear you guys have a critical opinion. Ward Callis posted via PriorityOnePodcast.com I find the pilot ships to be very fun, and I don't normally fly escorts. The mobility is awesome, but survivability will be increased greatly with the pilot's specialization tree. It has many abilities that focus on defense and maneuverability, like attack pattern expertise, eat my dust, turn the other cheek, and scratch the paint. I might pick these ships up when they go on sale. What do you guys think? I'd pick them up, I think, if I found one that was free. So if we get something that's similar in the in the summer event, I might pick that up, definitely. But I'm not sure I'd spend money on an escort. I definitely want one of these because I have no 5-2 ship right now. I just haven't decided which one or if I'm going to need to buy the bundle. Oh, a piece of advice for you, Jace. If you want a 5-2 ship and don't want to spend real money on it, um, the Manasa is pretty much on par with the engineering variant of the pilot ship. Oh, nice. Woody Valley posted via PriorityOnePodcast.com. I totally agree with you there, Elijah. Why are they spending attention on something that is not right for over 12 months that the player base didn't even know about, when there is fixes needed that the player base knows about? He goes on to reference Kittimer Ground advance cues and a bug that leaves players with an unnecessary PvE penalty. There's no doubt that there are bugs in this game that require attention, you know, probably more so than some increased expertise from a DOF mission. It's just the way that it was handled, you know, I think that it just kind of needs uh, needed a finer touch to it. Well, it's coming on the heels of many nerfs. Many, 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 many nerfs. This year has been the year of nerfs and lag. And it just seems that we're just getting more and more nerfs to player progression as we keep going on. And people are getting really, really tired of it. 
Well, each week our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for the show, so please keep them coming. Reach out to us on facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast, or you can follow us on Twitter at STO priority one, or just shoot us an email to incoming at priority one podcast.com. Well, that wraps up episode 222 of Priority One Podcast, brought to you by all our Patreon supporters. But before we do wrap it up, it's time to thank a few of those patrons. Isaiah Dorsch, Lee Malin, Jeffrey Miracle, Steve Humphrey, and our latest Patreon supporter, Navy Boat Slew. We thank these awesome patrons and the rest of the team of listeners that support us each month on patreon.com forward slash priority one. Be sure to catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your podcast catchers to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. This summer, Priority One Productions is launching a new show designed to add commentary to actual episodes of Star Trek. Watch episodes of your favorite series with familiar hosts and special guests as they offer colorful commentary on the episode. Keep an eye on PriorityOnePodcast.com for more information about On Screen. Admirals, you know we love hearing from you. Share your thoughts with us in the comment section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO222 or by replying to our post for this episode on our Facebook page. Admirals, you know we love hearing from you. Let us know what you think of the show and submit your responses for our community question in the comments section on our site. What do you think you'll be getting from the summer buyback store? Let us know in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO222. Share your thoughts with us there or by replying to our post for this episode on our Facebook page. Speaking of our Facebook page, stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. On Facebook, it's just facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast. Give us a like, share us with your friends, or check us out on Twitter via at STO priority one. You can even join the priority one chat in game. In the chat box, all you have to do is type forward slash channel underscore join space priority one admirals we want to thank you again for your ongoing support of priority one podcast thanks to our patrons we've already hit our monthly running costs and it's time to start thinking about vegas don't forget even if you can't offer financial support sharing our show with your friends is another great way to show us that support and don't forget to tune into priority one productions guard frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com covering the ongoing development of Chris Roberts' upcoming space sim, Star Citizen. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. The Priority One fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your at handle and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And now you can join our Klingon fleet division, Warriors of Priority One. Today is a good day to join. A big thanks to our guest hosts this week, Kenna and Sarcasm Detector. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast for their ongoing, dedicated, and consistent contributions over the years, including our audio engineer, Ben Churchill, with audio assistance from Admiral Winters, and QA support staffer, Midnight Shadow 7. You can catch Midnight Shadow 7's other productions at hollowsweetmedia.com. A big shout-out to Airborne, one of Priority One's fleet admirals for managing the live stream during the live recording this past week. Thanks to our graphic artist, Romulan Ale, to all of our bloggers and their managing editor, L, to the writer of our Prelude Dramas and Foundry reviewer, Jake Morgan, to our video editor, Jerry Tillman, to Chris Trone, our social media manager. 
Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek online community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Monday's blog post by lead systems designer Phil Gorgonzola Zaleski is a good one to check out. He's ge- Gorn Gonzola. Gorn Gor- what? <laughs> yeah, there's that N there in Gorn Gorn Gonzola. See, okay, I have He's not cheese. On the it's fine. Right. <laughs> Let me try that again then. <laughs> he said that the devs wanted to make super nimble escorts capable of executing special maneuvers. Of course, some of the n- maneuvers. You know, that's good because I wanted to interject and say, look how she wrote maneuvers. <laughs> yes, that'd be the, that would be the British spelling. It's the British Sorry. spelling of manu- maneuvers. Ma- ma- maneuvers. It's, it's more like a maneuver. Big news on the blog this week. Rizian low lunette pearls are being retired. Rizian. Rizian. Oh, dear. Oh, uh, let's not start that again. I'm going to mispronounce that. This is why I quit the show. This is exactly why I quit Every the show. Every year. Every year. <laughs> it's Ryza and Ryzian. Ryzian. Okay, I'll have to remember that or else I'll get it wrong about three times in this bit. Sorry. I will launch Cam out in airlock. Yeah. I will too. I'd oh, use you as a torpedo, but that would lower my DPS. <laughs> <laughs> this is Elijah. Feedback, sync one. This is Jace, Feedback Sync 2. This is Cam, Feedback Sync 3. This is Kenna, Feedback Sync 4. Okay. I'm a little gassy. Feedback in 3, <laughs> 2. <clears throat> we didn't need that. <laughs> no one wants to know that. Sorry. So let's get into some non-retirement feedback, shall we? Yeah, you gotta be careful. It's your last week on the force. You know how that goes in movies. Oh, man. This is my last case. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be... I'm gonna... Death flag. Death flag. What's in the lockbox? What's in the lockbox? <laughs> Actually, could you could you do that laugh again, but count some stuff? <laughs> ah, ah, ah. One. <laughs> Two. <laughs> Three DPS. A new record. <laughs> well, the... <laughs> nice typo immediately. That wraps up episode 222 <laughs> of Priority One Podcast. I was uh, raised by a cup of coffee. All right. I was raised by a cup of coffee. <laughs> oh, man. Nobody? Homestar Runner? No, that's, that's what I was going for. Yeah, no, I know. All right.